do you, do you guys remember that guy? Tony Peterson? Is this working? Um, so he's the actual CEO of Oatly Milk, which is like some alt milk brand. Um, and this was an actual Super Bowl that, or a Super Bowl commercial that played in 2021. And I found it to be very special. Um, I spent a lot of time on YouTube this week, uh, you know, searching for commercials, you know, being blinded by commercial after commercial after commercial, kind of like this light right here. Wow, we got new lights in the auditorium? These are bright. Um, and I usually type in like, most inspiring, most creative, most hilarious, you know, that's some of what we saw. And I was feeling a little saucy, right? And so I decided to search for the worst commercial ever. Um, worst Super Bowl commercial ever, and this is what popped up. Um, you gotta admit though, it's a little catchy, right? Wow, wow, no cow. Um, you know, you're gonna be singing that all day when you go buy your Oatly at the Meyer this week. Uh, friends, it's good to be together today. I think we've got something really, really special and fun uh, in store for us. We're gonna hear from our, our friends, uh, Jolene and Andrew and Gabriel as they take their turns dancing with some of the most impactful advertisements um, that we've seen over the years. And so, did you know that tonight, 100 million people are gonna tune in to watch the game between the Eagles and the Chiefs? Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of people. Okay, now this isn't working, great. Um, and so I did a little digging, because I had a hunch, and the lowest prediction that I could find is that 43%, uh, 43% of people that are going to be tuning in tonight are going to be rooting for the commercials. They're tuning in to the Super Bowl tonight only to watch the commercials. That's 43 million people. Think about that. There's nothing else else like this in the world of entertainment. So let me sprinkle in a little bit more context here, right? Game seven, Stanley Cup final. Biggest game in, in hockey, right? The biggest game in the NHL. For a 30 second commercial during game seven, it's $200,000 for a company to buy 30 seconds. The final of the World Cup, a game that only happens every four years, the World Cup final, $600,000. The NBA Finals, Game 7, the biggest game in basketball, $750,000 for a 30-second commercial. Tonight, at the 2023 Super Bowl, if Oatly wanted to get a commercial, they would have to pay $7 million for 30 seconds. Tony got a deal two years ago in 2021, he paid $5.6 million for that commercial, for Wow, wow, no cow. <laughs> Unbelievable. $5.6 million for wow, wow, no cow. Tonight, $7 million for 30 seconds of your time. It's, it's projected that $500 million will be spent just tonight, just on advertising. So what does that say? That says tonight, your attention is never more valuable. Companies are buying in and paying to grab your focus, your attention, so that they can sway your behavior and your participation in the world. So that they can have a say in what you find to be valuable. There's this incredible story in the Old Testament about a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was kind of a, a black sheep 
in Samaria because he would go around and tell everybody kind of what they were doing wrong. And then he would get chased out with pitchforks and fire out of that city. And so he finds himself in Samaria. And during that time in Samaria, it had been taken over by the Babylonians. And so, uh, and the Babylonians had a very different God than the Jewish people. That, their God was named uh, Baal. And so Elijah comes into Samaria and he's like, hey, everybody, you know, got to stop worshiping Baal. And they did not like this. And so he organizes this kind of competition between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, the prophet of God. And there's this showdown on Mount Carmel where they, there's this altar and they go back and forth between whose God is, is better. And it ultimately ends with, with um, Elijah and a pillar of fire coming down from heaven and proving that his God is the one true God. Tonight's game is going to take, take place in Arizona, not on Mount Carmel. But the real competition isn't on the field. It's on the screen, and it involves you. It's a competition for your time and your attention. And the reality is, is that we have found ourselves being manipulated and being, and being told by these commercials what it is that we should value. And every single one of these commercials is asking us, are we listening? And so this morning, we're going to have the opportunity to listen to these commercials, to watch these commercials, to see them in a new way. And maybe, just maybe, they'll grab our attention in a new way as well. So I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful morning. Yo soy mago, desaparezco. Mira como estos dos niños aquí quieren ser como yo, no como tú. Estoy facing en Cuba, vos sos fantasma, solo dices tú. Yo soy mago, desaparezco. Entro las cuentas tan plenas, tú con tu odio das pena. Sirvo desayuno, almuerzo y la cena. Santillí, tengo la crema, tú que la gente me frena. As my boys would say, that was satisfying. I wonder, I wonder who the brave soul was that shared that idea on how to capture joy for an AirPod feature. Was it like, oh, I got it. It's these two kids messing with people, turning everything into snow. I don't know. But good morning. I'm Jolene DeYoung. My family and I have been coming here for five I think almost six years now. And if you were here the last time I was up here, you know that that's saying something because I was talking about how we were church hoppers and we only stuck with the church for about 18 months at a time. So I think we're here to stay. And Wes is here. Thanks, Wes. Um, <laughs> and my mom is here. Uh, my husband and my older son cannot be here. 
um, Owen's coach decided it was a good day to join an outdoor soccer tournament in Indy. Um, it's February still, right? <laughs> um, I have to admit, uh, I only agreed to speak today, so I got to see that on a big screen. Um, that ad is just pure enjoyment for me. Um, the music, the fluid movement, the whimsiness, um, the expressions on their faces when they're messing with people, I just find it so joyous. And if you don't, well, at the very least, you can't deny it's a refreshing escape from reality. And that at the time that that was launched, um, it was amidst the terrible political ads. And it was a relief from that because those were truly sucking the joy and hope out of everyone. But if I can get past my pure captivation of visual stimulation, there might be something else there. First off, I am pleased with the entire point of the commercial about how you can now share what you are listening to with somebody else. I mean, Apple had to do something to move in a direction of connecting people again, as they have successfully disconnected us all from each other with their devices. We are definitely now living in a time where we can be in our own little world with people all around us with regard to no one, because we have headphones on or our earbuds in, escaping to whatever we want to escape to. And yes, I'm in the generation where if I see that you have earbuds in and trying to have a conversation with others, it seems rude. But if you talk to any middle schooler or high schooler out there, it's just a part of what they put on in the morning. But no matter how you see it, we are losing the opportunity of shared experiences. So this is a step in the right direction. I mean, thank goodness we have this new feature because gathering around a TV or a radio to listen to what comes out of the main speaker is preposterous. So yes, this ad has successfully pulled me in visually and pulled at my heartstrings a bit. But I think there is something else that's stirring me and I hope it's stirring you as well. It goes back to the first question that I asked, I wonder. I wonder who the brave soul was that shared this idea. In addition to losing connection with each other, we seem to be losing the ability to be brave enough to share an idea. Not sure if it's because we're losing the art of original thought or just not using our imagination because of how much we're exposed to already, or maybe we're just scared to rock the boat or too anxious that's so not good enough and it will just get ripped apart by those self-proclaimed critics out there. I know it may seem like we're sharing all the time, the way we use the term share. We're sharing Google Docs and photos and we share on social media. But more so than that, those seem to be more like giving opinions or convictions or telling people what we're doing or eating. And yes, there are lots of DIY, do-it-yourself ideas. And I'm not a TikToker, but it sounds like there's ideas being shared out there too. But I think it's safe to say it's still in the context of what someone else is doing. And the message is like, look at me or do it like me. Not the posture of, I wonder, what if? Imagine with me. I'm not saying all those posts are bad. I think we, we're all doing it with some good intentions. Searching for connection, finding where we belong, trying to be in relationship with others and ultimately for love. And love requires sharing. 
But I'm wondering if our current way of sharing is really connecting us or just giving this false sense of connection. I would stop and ask yourself the next time a post that irks you or before you respond to a post, ask yourself, is this sharing joy or bringing hope? There are very few spaces in our lived lives that we feel safe enough to share what we're really thinking. But I think using this posture of wonder or imagine with me gives us is fail-proof. But I get it. It's still scary to share an idea. Due to the way we can make things look on digital platforms, it's intimidating. So let's look at it through this lens. Let's think about the time we're in right now, the past few years. Think of all the ideas, good, bad, and terrible, throughout the pandemic. I mean, we can't get any more terrible with some of the ideas that we've seen come to light these past couple years. So the benchmark is low, right? I've had the privilege of working on a project where I've had to do some research. And I really, really believe with this understanding that innovation is a natural outcome of times of uncertainty and chaos probably because we're stretched to think differently, forced to reimagine. I'm not minimizing the tragedy of the pandemic, nor trying to turn this message into that it was all for the greater good. But I will say there has been some pretty amazing shifts that have happened due to the chaos. And I won't go through all the examples to save us time. But there's one, one little one that doesn't seem huge, but it is. Curbside groceries. That doesn't you know, to us, that seems like a normal thing in life right now, that it's always been here. And it is really convenient for busy families. But actually, it's been more crucial to those that are compromised in a way that shopping is nearly impossible for them. It may not seem like a huge thing, but it is a step in the right direction into getting basic essentials to more people, especially to those that are disabled. So yeah, I think now is the time, now more than ever, now is the time to share your idea. And I don't want to parallel Jesus' time on earth to the pandemic, but this window of time we are in is similar. It's about capturing what we learn from disruption that leads us to progress or a new creation. Jesus came to disrupt religion. He flipped the tables. He flipped our thinking to bring us hope and everlasting joy. If you look back at the ancient patterns in the Bible, you start to notice how many times over and over where it happens, where humans get it wrong, mess it up, disruption comes, and it's followed by something brand new, something we wouldn't have been able to do, get, achieve, if we kept doing it the same way. I would like to think a new creation is being birthed. I know it's hard to believe that through all the destruction the past couple years to think that a new creation could be birthed, but it all creates an even greater need to share joy and bring hope. People are hungry for ideas. Old ways aren't working. Um, an example right now is I, I'm a designer in the healthcare industry, and we're always going to doctors and nurses and facilities and CEOs for input on how we can make it work better or make their facilities work better for them. Last year was the first time where they are all coming to us, asking us to help them reimagine and to do it better. It's time to think outside the box. There's no box, not anymore. I think the box has been packed, shipped, and sailed, and probably stuck in the Suez Canal. I'm in the midst of trying out a new idea myself, 
And it may be causing some discomfort and maybe ruffling feathers, but it's bringing me oh so much joy. And I would like to think bringing hope for our future. So go, share an idea. It doesn't have to be anything earth shattering, nor does it need to be shared on a large platform to be effective. Mike G often reminds us when he tells us God didn't create us to get something from us, but to give something to us so, so that we could join in what gives him joy, which is sharing joy. He also pointed out to me that what I'm getting at here is something St. Augustine once said, which is the nature of joy is that it must be shared, must be shared. Share it with a friend, share it with your neighbor, share it with your boss, share it with your Uber driver. Give someone the opportunity to see what you're seeing. Again, just because you give an idea doesn't mean it needs to be fully baked. It may just be enough to spark in someone else to carry it further or disrupt someone's one way of thinking or just providing a perspective that may bring them joy for a brief moment or hope for the days to come. Kids are so expensive, Dad. Now Katie needs braces. Maybe try switching your car insurance to Progressive. You can save hundreds. I don't know, Dad. Maybe try switching your car insurance to Progressive. You could save hundreds. It's a great idea, TV Dad. But I said the exact same thing. Someday when you're a father, you'll understand. I'm his father. It's not a competition. Listen to your TV Dad. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save nearly $700 on average. Somebody needs to put on their listening ears. What? Exactly. <laughs> well, hello. Uh, my name is Andrew Collins. I'm a father. Uh, I'm a husband. And I work as the area director uh, at Southwest Michigan Young Life. And my goal for this, uh, this ad, where it struck a chord with me, is I was going to come out and I was going to talk to you about mentorship. I was going to talk to you about uh, the thrills that it's brought to me, and I was going to go over the historic, uh, uh, just the, the history of mentorship. And that was uh, and the idea until 1.46 this morning uh, when I got a call that my dad passed away. Um, so uh, as I look at this ad, uh, I, I think of what I could have had uh, as a mentor. And then I think about what I didn't have as a mentor. And then I think about the question that I continue to process with my little brother is, why do we love our dad? Um, I stand in the tension of the fact that my dad uh, had a really rough upbringing. And my dad had a life of his own before I was ever around. Things that I've learned as he's gotten older and things that I've learned were really tough to deal with. And then on the other hand, I, I know that I did not have uh, the mentorship of a dad that I wished I would have had. If you sit in here and you've lost a parent, uh, I, I feel for you and I'm sorry. Um, this was not tragic. This was not sudden. Uh, this is something that we've been processing for a year now. My dad was diagnosed with ALS last year, and, and we've been watching my dad slowly and actively die. And both my brother and I had this hope that having a year or more to process your own death would bring a man uh, who was so stubborn to a place of wanting to be reconciled with those around him. And although that was our wish for him, uh, that is not what he chose. 
I do have in the last year memories of hugging my dad's frail body and telling him how much I loved him and getting a thumbs up from him uh, because that's what he had left. Uh, I have memories of talking to my brother on the phone and saying, why do I love him? And why is he so hard to love? The question started with, why is he so hard to love? We had a great conversation, and at the time, he could still text, and what he texted back just was, it was hurtful, and it brought me back to my past. And I said to my brother, why is he so hard to love? And then when I got off the phone, I asked myself, why do I love him? And it's a question that I've been processing that I wonder if one of you may be processing as well, is why do you continue to love somebody who seems unlovable, who seems to not want your love in return? who seems to not want the thing that you want. And that is what I hope to share with you this morning. As I woke up, after falling back asleep last night, I said, am I going to get on stage and talk about mentorship? Am I just going to put on a happy face and fake it until after the service? And I thought, no, I bet you there's somebody in this crowd that has felt the same way I feel this morning. Somebody who has poured out their love towards someone and has not received it in return. Somebody that, although you have memories of hurt that a person has caused to you, that for, for whatever reason, you still love that person. And as my brother and I continue to process through this, we continue to come back to a verse in 1 John 4, 9, that we love each other because he loved us first. This morning when I asked the question to God again, God, why? I, I feel disloyal to myself for feeling the pain that I feel for somebody who showed so little to me. I said, God, why do I love him? Why do I love him so much? And when I get really honest, I say, God, he doesn't deserve my love. And God reminded me that he wants me to be the type of person that loves people that don't love me back. that my love for my dad is not about him, it's about me. It's about the man that God is creating me to be. So I would like to encourage you this morning that if you sit in the same space that I do, that person has come to your mind, the reason you care for them and the reason that you love them is not because they deserve it. It's because God loved you first when you didn't deserve it. And he wants you to be the type of person that would love the way that he loves. As difficult as that is. So, I leave you with hope. I leave you with encouragement. I leave you knowing that tomorrow I'm going to go up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with my family and we're going to talk about the good times and the hard times with Mark Collins. And I'll leave you with this. 
I pursue my daughter today in ways that I never would have if it wasn't for the example that Mark Collins gave me. I would not be the father I am today without him. Thank you, guys. I'm a forensic artist, worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them, they couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? I kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm gonna ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier, and I'm gonna ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create, and that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's... She looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. Mm -hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm -hmm. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like. defines you. A question to ponder this morning is we weaved our way through the contagiousness that is joy and also the recently shared grief of our friend Andrew. It is of no surprise in humanity that we need each other. Hi everyone, I'm Gabrielle. And I've found that my definitions vary by the rooms I'm in. 
maybe you do too. I'm currently the executive director of Mosaic CCDA, the co-founder of Emerge Innovation Hub, supporting BIPOC entrepreneurs to start and run their businesses. I'm also a neighbor in Benton Harbor, a best friend of weekly family dinners, a child, now grown, raised in church basement AA meetings. I'm an armchair theologian, a writer working on her first book. I'm a leader, and very often I'm also a back-of-the-line follower. I'm a believer, and very often I'm also a skeptic. Who defines you? What people, places, and time make up your life? When Dove first launched this campaign, more than 50 million people watched it in the first 12 days, all three minutes, making this the leading marketing effort of its time. It seemed to strike a chord. Dove's thesis was simple. You are more beautiful than what you think if you could only see yourself through the eyes of a stranger. I also think a more painful truth was also captured within this campaign. Left to our own devices, our self-perception is oftentimes skewed at best. Do you truly see yourself correctly? Do you know who you are? Those are the kind of questions that keep many of us up at night, certainly myself. And yet, I think we might have stumbled upon some refreshing news this morning, that perhaps our identity isn't really up to us to define. That while the angle of this ad focuses more so on us getting us wrong, it also captures the gift that it is when others get us right. Philippians 2, 1 through 5 reads, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul here describes what it means to be in community. Pastor and theologian Henry Nouwen puts it this way, community is first of all a quality of heart. It grows from the spiritual knowledge that we are alive not only for ourselves, but for one another. Wonder with me this morning. What if our greatest responsibility, whether mother, son, spouse, leader, addict, zealot, priest, grieving, or enjoy, is to love each other back to ourselves? And this would make sense, I think, given that we are created in the image of God and that we define God's self by the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, mutually submitting, interconnected to form a whole. I love what St. Augustine had to say about the Trinity, his definition, that there is the lover, and there is the beloved, and there is the love in between them. 
And isn't that just the most beautiful marrow that is life? That every day we have the opportunity, whether person or planet, friendship, marriage, stranger, enemy, or person you just met at a coffee shop, that every day holds the chance to be beloved, to be the lover, and to share the love in between. I think that's what Richard Rohr was trying to describe when he said we're caught up in a divine dance, that we're interconnected by our love for one another, becoming more ourselves the more we become intertwined. More simply this morning, I believe that we are made in the image of community for community. It is our interconnectedness that is what then truly defines us, a concept that's often lost in post-modernity that has defined selfhood as how sufficient one is to define and meet the needs by their own grit. This is a concept that is literally making us the loneliest and saddest that we've also ever been as a culture. And so this morning, I invite you to look outside of yourself and into the eyes of the stranger, into the eyes of a friend, to be brave enough to even ask how they might see you, to be open to the possibility of encounters with strangers and others that don't look like you, think like you, vote like you, live in the same zip code as you, to speak into your life to call you back to who you are becoming. Theologian Howard Thurman puts it more eloquently than I. He says, community cannot feed on itself. It can only flourish where always the boundaries are giving way to the coming of others. Unknown and undiscovered brothers and sisters, what we have sought for, we have found our own identity. The question this morning then becomes not only who is defining you, but who are you letting in to? In conclusion this morning, I am more Gabrielle Marie Engel standing here on this stage because I know you. Kanata, Andrew, Ambi, Paul, Abby, Larissa, Molly, Lindsay, Ellie, RJ, Allie, Spencer, Al, you get the idea. I wish I could not honor every name and every space. May I challenge us this morning to let others in. That you may slow down and see the stranger and friend and offer them the divine chance to love you. That you might just walk away, allowing the lover to beloved you back to yourself. Thank you. typical Super Bowl car ad, right? Or a hilarious beer ad. <laughs> or whatever ad this is. Whatever. But it's a Tide ad. What? It's a Tide ad. What makes it a Tide ad? There are no stains. Look at those clean clothes. What else would this be an ad for? Diamonds? A gift that lasts for a no. Tide. It's time for a cold refresh. Tie that. Fall into the sleep of no. Tide. 
No. Tide at extreme. No. Tide. Tide. Meet the all new. No, it's a Tide ad. Tide. So, does this make every Super Bowl ad a Tide ad? I think it does. Watch and see. Hello again, ladies. Is your man the kind of man who would climb the height? <clears throat> I'm in a tight head. Nice pants. Get off my horse. Tied head. Beautiful. Like a tight head. Sarah? Sarah? It's a tight head. Man, it's all just a tide ad, isn't it? Uh, coming back to the prophet Elijah, right? This pillar of fire that's coming down. Um, commercials are prophets in our lives, right? They're trying to tell us something about ourselves. They're trying to draw out what's already in us, or at least try to tell us what's already in us, just like the prophet Elijah is coming to Samaria to speak to these, these Jewish people who have given themselves over to a Babylonian God. But at the end of the day, it's all just a tide ad, right? On Tuesday mornings, um, we have a Bible study at Infusco. In the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and this last week, we read this. It's from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, I said to myself, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure. Have a good time. But there was nothing to it, nothing but smoke. What do I think of a fun-filled life? Insane, inane. My verdict on the pursuit of happiness, who needs it? With the help of a bottle of wine and all the wisdom I could muster, I tried my level best to penetrate the absurdity of life. I wanted to get a handle on anything useful we mortals might do during the years we spend on this earth. Oh, how I did great things. I built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks, and planted a variety of fruit trees in them, made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. I bought slaves, male and female, who had children, giving me more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than any before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. And what's more, I kept, I kept a clear head through all of it. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave into every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task, my reward to myself for a hard day's work. And then I took a good look at everything I had done looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There's nothing to any of it. Nothing. That's an incredibly bleak view of life and pleasure in our existence on earth. King Solomon is the author of this book, Ecclesiastes. At one point, he's the envy of the entire world. No one had more than Solomon. His kingdom had become so large and prosperous that other kings and queens would travel across the globe to witness his success and his privilege, praising him for all of his wealth and his security. And what does he have to say about it? It's all just a tide ad. 
None of it matters. Not the houses or the wives or the wine or the slaves or the fortune or army. All of it ends up meaning nothing. It's just smoke. It's just a tie dad. And that's all it will ever be. But if that's true, right? If that's true, what does it mean for us? What's the point of all this nothing if it doesn't actually mean anything? Although this feels incredibly bleak at first, I actually think this is a good problem to have. If everything is smoke, if everything is actually meaningless like King Solomon tells us it is, then the only thing that actually matters is what we say matters. We are in control. We have autonomy over this. And tonight, half a billion dollars are going to be spent trying to sway you one way or another, trying to buy influence over your say. But the reality is you get to decide. You get to choose where your time and your talent and your treasure holds the most value. And I don't know about you, but I can get so focused on the future that I miss out on the present. And I can get so wrapped up in what other people think about me that I believe the lies that tell me that I don't have enough. And I can get tunnel vision on comparing myself to the achievements of my peers that I so quickly just settle for immediate satisfaction. But none of that is true unless I choose to believe it. It's all just smoke. Except, what do we know about smoke? Where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's a fire burning in each of us, a pillar of fire coming down that's welling inside of us. It's beckoning us towards a wisdom that is only ours to give and a joy that is only ours to share and a beauty that is only ours to see. There's this beautiful, beautiful moment in The Lord of the Rings that hums through my head from time to time. The main character, a hobbit named Frodo, he says this. He says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And the it here is not important because we all have an it, right? We just heard of a really big it. I wish it need not have happened in my time. Man, that is a universal lament of all of us. I wonder if they're saying that in Turkey right now and in Ukraine and in hospitals across the country. I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf says this in response. Gandalf, his mentor, he says, So do I, and so do all who have lived to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has been given to us. If we don't decide, if we don't make that decision, then this truly is all just a tide ad. It's all just smoke. It's meaningless. So may you decide. May you see yourself as the main character in this beautiful story. May you see the community in front of you. And may you overwhelm that community with joy and peace and empathy. May you see the beauty that permeates all things. May you see yourself as a mentor, no matter your circumstance. And may you feed the fire that's already burning inside of you so that that smoke has so much more meaning than what it seems. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Have an excellent Sunday, my friends. We hope to see you next week.
make the truth a little clearer. I wanna hold you close, but never hold you.